thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. So I'm watching the live stream last week as I'm at home and, you know, our family was under the weather and first time I've ever been benched, okay? First time I've ever been benched. It started out, we, Britain was sick or London was sick for Saturday night and I got to feeling bad and Blair was talking to Patty and it kind of got brought up that I was feeling bad and Brian's like, if you feel sick and y'all have got the stomach virus going around, he's like, you just may need to stay home. So I'm like, all right, so we stayed home, and I got Jonathan lined up and situated, um, and I really appreciate Jonathan did a great job Sunday morning uh, with just a very little bit of time to prepare, and then, so I'm watching the live stream, and this is what I hear Jamie say, so glad Matthew's not here this morning. That may not have been exactly what he said, but that's what I heard, and I'm like, you know what, that hurts my feelings a little bit, but then I was like, hey, I'm feeling better, you know, things are great, I'm going to come and be here on uh, uh, the PM side. And uh, Danny, you're like the only elder in the room. I don't know where everybody's run off to. They all conference called me from the elders meeting. And they were like, we love you, man, but stay home with all this stomach virus and stuff. And I'm like, okay, so I'm, I've been benched. And come to find out, like, like, just everybody in the family got sick the rest of the week. So they actually made a really good call. And so uh, I have a little bit more respect for that call now. But it was funny. First time in my whole ministry that I've ever been told to stay home. And it was different. It was I did, Blair could tell you, I didn't know what to do with myself all day long. I was like a, a lost sheep or something all day long. But I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus as we continue. We've got just a few more lessons in this uh, my uh, favorites of the Old Testament series that's going to wrap up uh, here in just a few weeks with the end of, with school starting and summer kind of coming to an end. Uh, before we get into that, let's pray together and then we'll study. God, we thank you for the chance to just be together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity uh, to gather in this room, uh, to have communion with one another, to pray with one another, to sing with one another, God. And we know that all these things uh, come together and come before you in your throne room, and we're so grateful for that. And uh, we pray now that as we study your word, that will open up our hearts, open up our minds to your spirit. Uh, we have, pray that your spirit will convict us in our life, and that conviction will lead to change, and that change will lead to growth, uh, and that we will just become closer to you because of this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you've spent much time with me, hey, appreciate that, bud. If you've spent much time with me at all, you realize um, that I struggle with attention deficit disorder. Anybody else in the room struggle with that? Okay, so uh, a handful of us. Now, so, for, and, and, and this might make a lot more sense to you after you hear this. Do you know that technically, for those of us that are diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, or, or as I am really the attention deficit hyperactive side of it, um, we technically... Technically, we are diagnosed with a mental disorder now. Now, raise your hand again if you've been diagnosed with this. Okay, you see us. It makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? It makes a little more sense. But as a lot, a lot of people look at it maybe as a mental disorder or as a struggle, what I look at it as is a personality enhancer because my brain basically functions on a caffeine drip 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, I, and, it, and it helps kind of me be a little more outgoing, a little more personable. But because of that, as many of you know, people with this, di uh, this disorder, if you will, focus 
Focus is not our forte. I'm a big, big picture guy. I love to plan. I love to dream. But when it comes to like taking those dreams and those plans and like really focusing down, I have to work really hard. I've gotten a lot better at it as I have grown up. I've learned to cope with it. I've learned to put that in positive directions. But I'm not going to lie. It is a struggle that I deal with on a daily basis. It is something that in my life has made me question a lot of different things, including my willingness to really serve as a minister at times because it can be sometimes so overwhelming. But now let me ask you a question. Enough about me. Let's think about you for a moment. What is it that you struggle with on a day-to-day basis? What is it that you struggle with on a day-to-day basis? What is it that sometimes you get so overwhelmed with? What is it that sometimes that even though it may not be a big thing in your mind, it becomes a big thing, and if you're not careful, that thing can become bigger than even God himself. And today we're going to look at Moses, and we're going to look at that very idea of a man who struggled, a man who had challenges, a man who had problems, and he allowed those struggles, those challenges, and those problems, even though they were never bigger than God, he allowed those things in his mind to become so big that even God himself could not help him overcome those things in his life. So let's begin uh, with, we'll look a little bit at the passage that we read just a few moments ago that Ron read for us. It starts in Exodus uh, chapter 3. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and uh, he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to uh, uh, Haram, uh, the mountain of God. Uh, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from the bush, from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now that sounds like a redneck story right there, doesn't it? Sounds like a story that some good old boy is going to tell, but this is the real thing. This is the real deal. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight while the bush is not burning up. That's another redneck thing. You see something out of the ordinary, normal people don't go check it out. Us Southerners, what's the first thing? we do. I'm going to go see. That's why there's fewer of us than most people in America. Why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Let's stop right there. Let's focus on this for just a second. God's people. God's people, the chosen people of God, the descendants of Abraham, his, his, his precious jewel is in a situation, in a place where they are being so taken advantage of. They are living under great stress. Uh, one way you could, great persecution, if, if you will. They, they are the workforce for this great, great, wonderful dynasty that we read about in history, and they are struggling 
And God says, I have heard what's going on. I've seen what's going on. They're crying out to me. I'm going to do something about this. So he goes on, he says, So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I would figure that Moses is with God up to this point. Up to this point. He's agreeing, yeah, hey, those people over there, they're suffering, they're having a hard time, there's challenges going on, they need help. God, yeah, I'm glad you're going. And then all of a sudden, so now I'm sending you. And God, Moses does what we do a lot of times. God, I'm with you until you call me to do something. Do you want me to step up? He says, so Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Israel. Challenges, problems, we're, we're going to back up here in just a minute, but, but this is where we're going to start. How does it feel to be called by God? How does it feel to be pointed out by God and say, hey, I, I need you? Moses, where was Moses? Where was Moses when this happened? He was on the backside of the mountain herding sheep, all by himself. No problems, no worries, no stress, just his job right there in front of him. And God says, I need you. And what's Moses' reaction? Yeah, God, I'm here, I'm ready to go, let's do this. No, he steps up, and the first thing that he says, and if you keep reading the passage, you'll see this, uh, but the first thing he says is he goes, who am I? Who, who am I, God? He says, you've got the wrong guy. I know that you're the God of gods, the Lord of lords. You know everything about me. You know everything in the world. But I'm telling you, you don't know me as well as I know me, and I'm not the guy that you need. And God uses some words that I love so much. He says, I will be with you. Isn't that just some amazing words? That when God calls you out to serve him, he doesn't call you out to go by yourself. He never calls you to be alone. What is his promise? I, God, will be with you. But that doesn't work for Moses. Moses is like us. Moses is like us. How, how, how many of you are good at coming up with excuses? Let's just be real about it. How many of you are good with coming up? We're good at coming up with excuses. And, and Moses comes up with the first excuse, <coughs> and it doesn't work, and he goes, okay, so uh, what if no one believes me? What if no one believes me? I'm calling this the they'll think I'm crazy approach. Well, what if I get down there and you speak for God? Where have you been? How come God came and talked to you, but he didn't talk to any of us? And he says, hey, look, I'm going to give you some signs. I'm going to give you some things to do that so when they question who you came from, you do these things, they're going to believe you. And then he's, he's like, okay, all right. So he's thinking, he's thinking. He's got another excuse. Oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. He says, I can't talk right. I can't talk right. I, I, that's not my strong point. Uh, and Moses thought that part of being a great leader was being this great speaker. And, and it's interesting to me that he says this about himself because if you fast forward to Acts chapter 7, Verse 22, it says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So there was something about him that he was able to do this, but he's coming up with excuses. And I love God looks at him and goes, who put your tongue in your mouth? 
Like, who gave you this ability? I know what you can do. And God just shoots down every single excuse. And he finally says, okay, look, you know what? I'm going to send your brother with you. It's going to be okay. We're going to do this, and we're going to get through this. So, but my question is this. As we're thinking about the life of Moses, how do you go from standing in front of God, saying, not me, not me, to being powerful in speech and action in Acts chapter 7? How does that become your, your, your legacy, your legend? And I think that when we find Moses in chapter 3, he's at that place where he has run from God for so long that he has finally allowed his problems to become bigger in his mind than God could ever be. And the thing that I find so interesting is that he knew the whole time. Moses knew the whole time that his job, his role, his place in history was going to be making a difference for his people, for God's people. Back up with me to chapter 2 of Exodus. Chapter 2 of Exodus, starting in verse 11. It says, Moses was educated. No, that's next. Uh, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. (coughs) Let's stop right there and talk about this. Moses was going to make a difference. He says, I'm going to step up and I'm going to take advantage of my position. What's his position? Where Where was Moses raised? Was Moses raised in just a normal Egyptian household? Is that where Moses is raised? Where's Moses raised? In the what? the palace. He's the grandson to Pharaoh, okay? And he's raised in this great place, and all of his life, he's he's being reminded by his mom, who's raising him, you know, as a handmaid, saying, hey, these are your people, these are your people. So he's looking out one day, and he's seeing all this stuff that God's described to him in chapter (coughs) 3. He says, I'm going to make a difference. But the way he wanted to make difference was by power and force, So he sees this situation, and what does he do? He inserts power and force to solve the problem, and that doesn't solve the problem at all. This first moment, though, that he thinks that he's making a difference ends up blowing up in his face. And when his way doesn't work, when his method doesn't work, when his idea doesn't work, the very first time of trying to serve God, when it doesn't work the way he thinks it should work, what does he end up doing ultimately? Running where? Running away. (coughs) Running away. I'm going to ask, does somebody have like a peppermint that I can have? Somebody's going to have to bring it to me or I'm going to come to you, somebody. Look at that. Hey, look at that. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. So let me ask you this question. How many times in your life How many times in your life have you said, I'm going to serve God? I'm going to step up. I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do this. And it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. And you got scared. You let the negative run all over you. 
and you said, because it didn't work out the way I want it to work out, I'm not going to step up for God anymore. Because that's why we find Moses on the backside of a mountain as a shepherd. Now, we'll get to this in a minute, and that's more providence, I think, than anything else as well. But Moses thought, I'm going to serve, I'm going to deliver my people, but I'm going to do it my way. And he never thought about God's way, and he never thought about reaching out to God, and he never thought about checking in with God. He's just going to do it and do it this way, and when it all falls apart, he runs away. That's something we can't do. That's something we can't do in our Christian walk, our individual walks. That's something we can't do as a church. Listen, if we quit serving God every time a ministry failed, what good would it do? Failure is part of life. The key is, what are we going to do after the failure? We're going to talk about that, too, here in just a minute. Let's keep going in this passage. So he sits down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. There's a part of Moses that's a fixer. You see that in these two passages, right? When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherd. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to him in marriage. Let's back up for a second. There's an interesting phrase in this particular passage. I want you to read it with me. They answered a, a, a what? Who rescued them? A what? Is Moses an Egyptian? Not by birth. Moses is a what? A Levi. He's a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew. But does he look like a Hebrew? Apparently not. What would, have, what would a Hebrew have looked like? During this time, well, a Hebrew was a slave, so they would have been very dark skinned from being outside in the African sun all day. Their hands would have been calloused from the work that they had to do. Okay, they would have been beaten, as we read in some of the stories. Their clothing would have been patched together, I'm sure, of whatever fabrics they could find. They may not have been the healthiest looking individuals. You know, because of their work conditions and different things. That's not what Moses looked like. Moses grew up as an Egyptian, but again, not just any Egyptian. What kind of Egyptian? A royal Egyptian. A royal Egyptian. You see, Moses ran away, and we do this sometimes. We try to run away from our struggles. We try to run away from things and try to get past things. But if we're not careful, we still carry parts of those struggles with us. See, on our own, we can't let go of everything. On our own, we can't let go of everything. Moses had carried this part of him that he's trying to get away from, that he's trying to run from, and even though he's trying to get away from who he was, when you looked at him, he still identified, he still looked like the people who he was running from. So Moses spends the next 40 years of his life running, hiding as a sheep herder in the desert. When God comes and he says, hey, It's been 40 years. Now I need you. I need you to come lead my people. And he says, who am I? I can't do this. They won't believe me. All these different things. So when God called Moses to lead his people, 
where's he going to lead them? Where is ultimately Moses going to spend most of his time with God's people? In the what? In the wilderness. For 40 years. Where's Moses been for 40 years? In the desert, herding sheep. God has a big picture, doesn't he? God has a big picture that we very rarely can understand. The first time that Moses decides to lead God's people, God does not need a palace pampered, palace trained, palace boy who's been waited on his entire life. God needed someone who could go into the elements and deal with the problems that come with leading unruly people. So we have a man that started out as forceful, I'll beat you to get my way type leader to leading sheep. And what Moses saw as his downfall, as his failure, God took and he used it to send him to wilderness school so that he would be prepared when God called him to serve. So that he would be prepared when God called him to serve. You know, so many people, so many people use their experience as an excuse not to serve God. Look at what I've done. Look at what's happened to me in my life. I've done so many bad, there's no way that I've experienced too many things to serve God. I heard a guy say one time, and I love it, experience is not what happens to you in your life. Experience is what you do with what happens to you in your life. Think about that for a second. Experience is not what happens, it's what you do with it. It's how you overcome it. It's how you deal with that moment and you use it to help you change in a positive way. What you experience in your life, I believe, should do two things. It should define you as a person, okay? Not, not, the, not the actual act. What you've learned from it should define you and it should also define how you serve God. When you say, I have lived with this struggle and I've overcome this struggle, then now I turn around and I help people who have similar struggles so that they can serve God. Because you see, our weaknesses, Jesus, God says, Paul, the Holy Spirit, all of them. When you're weak, then you're what? And you're strong. Because of who? Because of God. But I want to show you an illustration this morning about weakness. My kids, this is working my kids up all, all morning long. Hey, what is this? What is this? Say it out loud. What is this? A rope. Now, let me ask you guys, some questions about this rope. Um, what do you do with a rope? Sean, what can you do with a rope? Give me one thing. Okay, make many knots that are useful in all sorts of jobs. What else can you do with a rope, Gary? Okay, can cause harm to someone. Sin, what can you do with a rope? You can rope a cow. <laughs> Got us a cowboy with us today. I mean, if you're going to survival school, a rope is one of the very first things. You want to make sure to have a rope because you can climb things with it. You can tie things up with it. You can, I mean, you can do all kinds. This is one of the most functional pieces of survival. You don't want to be without it. You don't want to be without it. But when you take a rope and tie a knot in it, see if I can do this real quick. That's what Sean said. You can take it. And tie a knot, that helps you in a lot of situations. I've got a good friend, he's a towboat captain. He's real big about knots. When you're on the water on a boat, knots are important. Because if you tie something up, you don't want it to what? You don't want it to come loose. Now, this rope, now that it has knots in it, 
where these knots are, this rope is effectively about 50% less strong. I guess that's how you say it. Because to make these knots, I had to bend the rope. And everywhere there's a knot in this bent spot, what's that called? Do you know? It's called shear. Shearing a rope. I'm going to trip over this rope. That's what this rope's going to be good for. When a rope breaks, you know where it will always break? At a point of shear. Because that's the weakest point of the rope. But follow me here for a second. What makes this rope vulnerable also makes it functional. What makes this rope vulnerable also makes it functional. That's what we learn from Moses, is that his problems, his struggles, the things in his life that he thought brought him down actually brought him to a place where God says, now I can use you. Now my glory can be seen through you. Now I can show other people how to overcome because look at where you've been. You've, you lived in the, you lived in the shear. That, that's where we live so many times in our struggles is in the shear of the rope. It's already, this rope's already brand new. Even as I've tied it, it's already starting to fray just a little bit. That's what happens when you buy a cheap rope at Walmart. Um, but the struggles in your life that you think bring you down, God looks at you and says, that's what I'm going to use. That's the part of you that I'm going to use to make a difference in the kingdom, to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in people's lives. So I'm going to ask you the same question we started with. What do you struggle with every day? What do you look at and say, you know what? This gets in my way. This keeps me from serving. This keeps me from stepping out of my comfort zone. This is bigger than God because we all have those things. And I'm here to tell you this morning, and we see this from the life of Moses, that when we stand face to face with God, as we stand face to face with God, we don't see our struggles. Who do we see? We see God. And I want you to know this morning, there's not a struggle that God can't help you overcome. There's not a struggle that he can't use to turn into a ministry. There's not a struggle that can keep you from being loved by him. Live in the sheer, that's okay. But realize that that's where you find the greatest knowledge and intimacy with God. So what are you struggling with this morning? What do you need to lay at the foot of the cross? What do you need to walk out of here and say, this is no longer going to get in the way? That's what I want you to leave in here this morning. And If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community.